And Lord, the reason that we are even able to love you first loved us. And Lord, no greater place was your love displayed than upon the cross on Mount Calvary. And so, Lord, you have given us your more sure word, Father, your solid word as an anchor to our soul, that God, as we open it and study it, we see your desires for our life, and we see what is necessary, Lord, to reflect you to this dying world. And so, Father, we pray once more as we've gathered in this place that you would teach us and instruct us, that you would bless us as we celebrate the communion meal. I pray that it would be a wonderful time of remembrance, but also looking forward to our glorious future. So we just lift this time once more at Holy Spirit, you would just guide our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn and tell your neighbor, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. I didn't wear green. I don't think I have green. <laughs> Thank you. Same to you. Hi, guys. I guess I should have said, say, Happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 1. We'll be picking back up at verse 12 after a short review, and then we'll be celebrating communion this morning. As you are turning there, first of all, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat, but if there isn't, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Everybody's good. Um, as you're turning there, as I said previously, a couple of things. We've been praying for Jim Simmons. He um, was admitted to the hospital again Friday night. I went down there, and um, they were vacillating. If it, he has a defibrillator that's implanted in him. And part of the problem is it's been going off and it sends this big shock into his body. And so there's the difficulty of that. But also just the determination of what's wrong. And Jim was a little frustrated. And Friday he told me, I talked to him yesterday afternoon, he was laying there and he finally just told his wife, we need divine intervention here. It's got to be a work of the Lord. There has to be divine intervention. And then his doctor walked in for the first time, the one that was there that he met, and his name was Dr. Divine. <laughs> so he's gotten his divine intervention. Continue to keep Jim up in prayer. There's just some serious issues with his heart. He's probably going to be released either today or tomorrow. And then secondly, uh, we posted on the in Amber, you hear their names a lot. They're missionaries to the area of Indonesia. Uh, there was a massive flood that swept through their neighborhood. It killed over 50 people. Uh, there's been 59, I believe, that was injured as well. Uh, Josh and Amber, more than likely, their home has been destroyed, although the Lord thought to preserve them and their daughters. Uh, the, the neighbor and the people there and the responders have all gotten together, and they, they're 
helping people and doing what they can. Um, I have very little information other than what Amber posted on Facebook this morning. I looked it up in the news and just seen some of the damage. There's just these intense rains that are going on. There's videos of just these raging rivers going down the streets there. So keep that up in prayer, and we'll have more information how we'll be able to minister to Josh and Amber, the people that are in the area as time goes on. But um, let's go ahead and pray right now. Let's pray for the Simmonses as well as Josh and Amber and what's going on. Father, we do come before you and we just lift up, Lord, just the opportunity for prayer. And Lord, I pray that once again, we would be reminded and realize the power in prayer. That, Father, we're able to talk to our Lord God of the universe just even at a moment's notice. And Lord, I pray, even as Jim was praying, and and Lord, I I think that man's name was, was an answer to prayer, just showing that your hand is upon the situation. But he does need you to intervene, Lord. He needs a healing from you. And so, Father, we just pray for that, that, God, you would just do a great work, and, Lord, that you would be glorified. I pray for Josh and Amber, and just thank you, Father, that you have preserved both them and their daughters' lives and that you have protected them. But I also pray, Father, for how they are able to minister in the midst of all that's going on as well. And so, Lord, I just lift up the first responders there. I I pray, Father, for I'm sure there's still people missing and whatnot, and then the families that lost loved ones and the people who are hurt. God, just do a great work. Show us, Lord, how we can enter in and even be a part of this. And so, Father, we just lift all to you. Lord, as we have this beautiful day, we're able to drive home, maybe go out to lunch and all of that. Maybe we remember the people who are out there who are hurting, Lord. And, Father, just once again remind us, Lord, at the very least, that we would pray, and, and, and Father, if there's even a greater avenue, Lord, to become involved here, pray that you would reveal that to us as well, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word, Second Peter chapter 1. I'll start reading at verse 12. Peter writes, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, through, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yet I think it right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, as we have your more sure prophetic word even before us today, as we open it up, as we study it, pray, Father, that you would show us and give us the assurances that even back then you gave Peter and are available to us even right now. And so, God, we just thank you that we have this opportunity, this building, one another to gather together. Just pray that you would move amongst us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Apostle Peter is going through in a very methodic way and wanting to encourage the church. Just even as we just saw, Peter's of the understanding he's not going to be around forever. He knows that the time, the time is coming, his time here on earth is coming to a conclusion, and he's wanting the church to be established. He's wanting the church to have an opportunity to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so far, in our study in Second Peter, he's encouraged, although we are being perfected, there's not a one of us who is perfect. In verses 1 through 2, we saw that we'll do right at times, and other times we'll fail. Sometimes we're Simons, sometimes we're Peters. Simon was his name in the flesh. Peter is the name that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to him. But nonetheless, a commonality all born-again believers have is we have like precious faith. We all have the same faith. It's the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Priceless, it's beyond measure, and it's faith in the one who has saved our souls. So this being the case, we saw in verses 3 and 4, well, verse 3, we are to know God. We are to come to an understanding of who he is and the good things that he has done. But verse 4 tells us we are to become like him as well, reflecting our Lord Jesus Christ to this dying world that they would see our manner of living and understanding that there's something just different about us. There's something peculiar about us. Not that we're weird people, but we would be different than those who are of the world. Now to accomplish this, he told us in verses 5 through 7, we looked at last week, but also for this very reason, give all diligence to add to your faith. So for the purpose of being more Christ-like, add to your faith. We looked at that foundation that was necessary, virtue to virtue, knowledge to knowledge, self-control to self-control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. What is going to be the result when those things occur within our lives? Well, we left off here last week, but the first thing that we will see is a fruitful life. To live a life that others are able to come and partake of. The studies that we attend, the studies that we do, the studies that we're part of, are all for the purpose of producing fruit. Now, This is a prime time to bring my fruit trees into the equation again. Continue to pray for the apricot tree because it just looks like a dead piece of wood planted in the ground. I try to shame it because the peach tree, the peach tree has started to blossom. It's got these pink blossoms that are starting to pop up and there's a good opportunity to bear fruit. Well, this apricot tree, again, it looks like a bunch of sticks that are just planted in the ground, but the possibility is there. We had good rain, we had some good cold nights, and I'm hoping this was going to stimulate it to to bear fruit. And my wife told me, we're giving it one more year. She said that last year. So if it doesn't bear fruit, we're going to pull it up by the roots and we're going to replace it. And again, the idea is, are are we blooming? Are are, are we blooming? Are we preparing to, 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 to bear fruit? That others would, and the idea is, is that when Mike gets up in the morning, he can go pull apricots off the tree. Looks like I'll be able to pull peaches off the tree. But be able to partake of that. Because the tree doesn't eat its own fruit. The fruit's not for you. The fruit of others is for you. But the idea is is they would come and be able to partake of the Lord Jesus Christ from your life. And so that's why I have to have this faith. But I also have to build upon that faith. But as I build upon the foundation of my faith, there's the idea of a fruitful life. 
You'll have renewed purpose and meaning as you add these things to your life. You will have a spiritual life others will be able to come, and they'll be able to feed off of. By adding these things, you will possess a character that God will use, and if you are fruitful, then God will be faithful in your life to multiply these things. And so, as the floods are coming, Indonesia, Josh and Amber, they probably knew it was rain. Maybe they knew of the possibility, but they went to bed Saturday night. And I don't know if they knew that in the middle of the night, this disaster would come upon them. We need to be well prepared, adding unto our, the foundation of our faith the things that Peter had listed there, because the floods do come, or, or people do get sick. Situations and circumstances happen that we're unaware of, and usually at a moment's notice, how prepared are we to enter in and to represent Christ? Because it's Christ, well, it's Christ who Jim, Jim Simmons, who he has, but it's Christ who he needs as well. It's Christ who those people in Indonesia need also. And there are people on the front lines. We need to be a people who pray. We need to be a people who exhibit this fruit for the others to be able to partake of. Secondly, if we add to our faith those things that are listed previously, God will give us vision. Look at verse 9. For he who lacks these things, for he who has faith but has not built upon it, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own sins. Have that vision, have the vision of the reality of what Christ has done in your life. I had the privilege of doing a funeral on Friday, and it was Maria's father, and he had passed away. He had received the Lord even a month before his death, and what a blessing that is. What a blessing it is to to see the salvation that has taken place, even at the last moment, that this man would be able to enter into the glory of God. To have that vision of what God wants to do, and what God desires to do, and how he wants to use us in the midst of that. And that this world, well, we look at the news and we yell at the TV. Why do we do that, or the computer screen, or whatever? Because there's just these whacked out things that are going on. Well, don't yell at the TV. Go and speak to the people. Go and share the gospel to the people. Because again, these things are fruits. As we bear this fruit, this is the fruit that they're able to of, but I must have vision. I must understand the situation of the world and how I am able to enter in. This, in fact, is to see things, to see the world as God sees the world. When you come to an understanding, the magnitude of what God has done for you, you will then seek what you are able to do because of him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know who is going to believe, but I have been sent with a message under command to go forth and to make disciples. Thirdly, God, well, if you have that foundation of faith and you build on that foundation of faith, God will give you security. Look at verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an interest, entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's somebody who has the foundation of faith, but if they're not building upon it, there's just not a surety. It doesn't mean that they're not saved or they're not going to lose their salvation, but as they go through their life, as they go through the hard times and the difficult days, 
there's just not that surety because they have not made their calling and election sure. The person who has a sure calling and election is the person who builds upon these things. So when the floods come and the winds blow, he's going to be strengthened in the Lord because they know and they understand. And Peter's going to illustrate this in a minute. But they're going to understand that their life is hidden with Christ. As we come to the understanding that we are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, then death, although it hurts, it doesn't have its sting. We understand that disasters are going to come and the world is not going to follow our ways because they're contrary to our ways. I need to make my calling and election sure. And it's not that I need to convince you, but I need to have a surety within my own life that as I move forward in faith in Jesus Christ, that... Well, that God has blessed me and God has truly kept me. Now, the Apostle Paul, he stated it different, but he also wanted us to have the knowledge of these things. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If you're a born-again believer... God has blessed you with the things that are to follow. There's seven spiritual blessings that Paul has listed here that is available to each, or reality, I guess I should say, to each and every one of our lives. And matter of fact, once again, when there's something of theological, of a great theological importance, we see a picture of the Trinity, and we have that picture of the Trinity here. Again, God wants know these things. God wants you to embrace these things. And so first in verse 4, the blessings that come from the Father. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So two things from the Father. He chose you. He looked down upon you in your plight, in in your imperfections and in your sinful state, and he chose you. He chose you to hear the gospel. He, he chose you to be able to, to, to make a decision based upon the gospel. And then it says the second thing that he's done, he adopted you. He brought you into his family. And again, it wasn't because you were any jewel. It's because simply the father loved you. We have that picture in Deuteronomy chapter 7 of God's people. It's not that they were strong in number or they were any treasured possession, but the Lord just simply loved them because he loved them. God just simply loved you because he loved you, and you need to accept that and you need to embrace that. Jesus is the natural son. We are the adopted children, but we are all part of the family. The next three blessings, they come from our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mysteries of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in his his heart. Three things. First, we have been redeemed. We were headed for destruction, but no longer. If you're a born-again believer, you're headed for heaven. Secondly, forgiveness of sins. Again, when Jesus died, he died for all of my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. And that gives me a confidence because when the devil accuses me or when I accuse myself, 
I am able to stand upon the sacrificial and the totality of the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ that has washed me clean. And then verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will. We understand the mystery of the will through the word of God. What's Jesus described of as in John chapter 1? The word. This is God's communication to us so that we would know these things and have a surety of these things. And then we have the seven spiritual blessings, the last two, given to us by the Holy Spirit. In him, in Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance into the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. First, you were sealed, and the idea is you were sealed for the purpose of possession. As you were sealed, you were sealed as being God. How is that? The Holy Spirit came and dwelt inside of you. You now know that sin is sin. There is the conviction when you sin. And there is the knowledge of the need to grow in Jesus Christ and who he is. And also you have the guarantee of our inheritance. The idea here is is that here on earth an inheritance can be given away or spent away. But Jesus truly did go to prepare a place for us. My salvation is tied up in the power of God and not the futility of myself. And because of that, we should have a good confidence of these things because trials are going to enter in. So many times trial enters in, God has forsaken me or I'm being punished. You may be, trials may be being used to correct you, but God does not punish us as far as he punishes the world. And so if you are born again, you're born again, you're saved and you are heaven bound. Now, Peter speaks once again based upon his life's experience with Christ as we move on. And what we're going to see, we're going to see elements of these things that I just talked about in the life of Peter. He's wanting to give this real inspirational illustration so that people would know, just as God has worked in me, Peter could say, he could work in you. Because keep in mind who Peter is. Peter was just an untrained fisherman. He was just a common person. He, He was just somebody who who was just going about his daily routine on the day that Christ arrested his heart and said, come and and follow me. And then Peter, during his times with Christ, never seemed like he really got it. And there was that one time when Christ looked him in the eye and said, get behind me, Satan. And so Peter, there's nothing special about Peter as compared to everybody else. Matter of fact, the thing that makes Peter special is his dedication to Christ and his filling with the Holy Spirit. And so this, what Peter is offering, is a pattern for anyone who desires to speak of the Lord, speak of what Christ has told you, and speak of how it has affected you. As far as what has God spoken to me through his word, speak of that. Speak of the impact that it has upon your life. That's the beauty of Peter. This is what Christ told me, and phrasing you can go back and see how I failed when he first told me this but this is how it has affected me today because if you recall there's persecution of the church that is happening in Rome Nero this man who is insane is coming up against Christians Jews as well 
And guess where Peter's at? Peter's in Rome. He's writing to these churches who are outside of Rome because the same persecution is coming to you. It's believed that Peter wrote this epistle maybe even within a year of his death, somewhere around that time frame, but it was at the end of his life. Verses 12 through 14. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Peter uses the illustration of a tent to describe the form that his body is in while he is here on this earth. And the idea to the Jewish mind would be of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was that portable temple, if you will. It's that place that Israel would wander from place to place, and it would be affected by the world. It would be affected by the elements. We're affected by sin, we're affected by age, we're affected by the elements, and so on and so forth. And this tent, it starts to get ragged, it starts to get worn down, and sooner or later it's going to be destroyed. But it's what the tent encompasses, contains, which is the important thing. And so the Apostle Paul, he used that same now, what you need to see here is, is Peter's boldness, his assuredness, and his contentment in what he is saying, and these things are all based upon Jesus Christ and the Word of God. First, I want to illustrate this by going, if you have your Bible with you, to turn it to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, Herod has become emboldened. He killed the apostle James, who was well-known, very prominent, and he saw how it pleased the Jews, and he made the determination, well, I'll kill another one, I'll kill Peter. In Acts chapter 12, verse 3, this is after the death of James, it says, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to see. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him and delivered him to four squads of, of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping. If I was going to tell you, that God has given me a vision for your life, and tomorrow your life is going to be required of you. Tomorrow you're going to be killed. Tomorrow you're going to be executed. And you would probably think either Pastor Mike's a complete wacko, but what if it's true? What if that I'm going to die tomorrow? You'd be thinking of all the things you haven't accomplished that you wanted to accomplish. You'd be, you'd be thinking about quite a bit. But the one thing that you probably wouldn't be doing, which Peter is now doing here in Acts chapter 12, he's sleeping like a baby. If you knew you were going to be executed the next day, do you think you would sleep well the night before? Well, why would Peter be able to sleep so soundly? What would it be that would cause him to have a contentment in the face of his execution? Well, Peter knew, without a doubt, and I don't think he knew exactly how it was going to come to pass, but he knew he wasn't going to die the next day. Well, how would he know that? How do I know that he knew that? I mean, again, this is Herod. He's the king. He's already killed James, and he's got Peter in prison. And and how in the world is he going to possibly get out of this? 
Well, we know that he did, and we know that it ended up being a supernatural work of God, but how did he know? Well, at some point, Christ told them of the day of his death, probably in John chapter 21. But Christ told them of the day of his death, and apparently that's not what God told him was going to happen. Because look at verse 14, go ahead and back to Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 14, it says, Knowing shortly I must put off my tent, that he's going to die, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. And so Peter knew when God had showed him, and again, probably John chapter uh, 21, as Christ came and met him as he went back to fishing, showed him by what manner of death that he was going to suffer. And as Christ had given that assurance, he had a confidence. He had a confidence that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He understood that his life was in the hands of God. Christ did go to prepare a place for him, but at that time, back when he was in prison and and Herod was going to kill him, or at least planned to, that that wasn't the time. And until God, until the day of your God-ordained day of your death, you are immortal. You are immortal. Nobody can touch you. And so Peter had this confidence in the face of opposition, he is going to press forward. So Peter knows that his time now, back in Second Peter, he knows that his time is near. So he once again speaks to the church of the things that he has said all of his life. And the technique that he is using is a reminder. A reminder because, hey, most of us have heard the stories before. Most of us have heard the studies before, but we constantly need to be reminded. It's because of the raging of the world, because of the fallibility of the flesh. We need to be reminded in the spirit of these things that we would be strengthened daily. To be reminded is not to live your life on memories. That's to attempt to walk forward looking backwards. That doesn't work. But to be reminded in this context is to live your life by memories that are permanently present in your life, that has, has achieved an effect upon your life. I remember one day I was working in my garage and my son Sean was riding his bike. I don't know how old he was, 10 years old, whatever it might have been. And he came right up, he was crying. He was crying pretty hard. And I'm wondering, what's wrong? What's that on his head? Well, when he came up, he had this huge knot on his head. We took him to a hospital. We thought something really bad had happened. But what he was doing is he was horsing around. He was riding his bike, and he was looking backwards. And he ran into this dumpster head first. And so we're, we're not to be walking forward remembering the past in ignorance and, and not understanding the reality of today, but in the midst of the reality of today, in the midst of looking forward to remind. That's what we're celebrating here. It's the communion meal. It reminds us that Christ has gone to prepare a place for us. But that also denotes that Christ has a time for my death. He's got it planned. And in Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so we move forward in a confidence and a boldness because of these things. And so Peter Peter is showing the magnitude of his belief here and what needs to be the magnitude of our belief as well. Verse 15, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Well, we have that. We have it in First and Second Peter. 
Verse 16, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain. What Peter shows us in this section of the epistle is four validations of the truthfulness of the things that he was taught and now teaches us. Things that need to be realities within our lives. First, he was an eyewitness of the things which he is speaking of. We see this in verses 16 through 17. We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He, he went there in 1 Peter, and he's revisiting in 2 Peter because it had such a profound effect upon his life. He's speaking of the Mount of Transfiguration, which we see in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus said that, Some of you will not perish until you see me in my kingdom or in my glory. Jesus had just finished speaking of his death upon the cross. And so he brought Peter, James, and John on that mountain. And they saw the Lord transfigured right before their eyes. And as they saw that, there was this assurance that there is life after death. This body or this tent, as Peter described it, it's going to become ragged, it's going to fall apart, and one day it's going to be gone, but there's something so much better that God has in store for me. He was an eyewitness of these. I've seen these things. And that's what we speak of. What has Christ done in your life? Have you ever seen God move in a supernatural way? Well, if you're born again, there's number one. But again, just God moving in these little things. And again, God's in the details, and you need to be detail-orientated in your faith. Most of you laughed, and I laughed too when Jim told me, but Jim was looking for divine intervention, and Dr. Divine goes walking into the room. And and (laughs) it is funny, but that's God. That's God. And I don't know if that doctor is going to do anything or not. That doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is God is telling Jim, I'm here for you. And it's these things that we just need to remember and we need to go back and we need to revisit in our lives and that just gives us a surety of all that God is doing. Secondly, Peter heard the word, verses 17 through 18. For he received from God the Father glory and um, honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellence glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain. And so Peter is just simply speaking about what he had heard. From the Father, about the Son, to the believer. This is my beloved Son. If you remember, there was Moses and Elijah, a representative of the law, representative of the prophets. But this is my beloved Son. Hear him. And again, how were you born again? How were you saved? Somebody preached the word. You heard the word, and the word made all the difference in your life. As the word of God made all the difference in your life, it's going to make the difference in the lives of others. But as Paul said in Romans chapter 10, how will they know without a preacher? How would you have known without a preacher? Who was the preacher in your life? I'm not talking necessarily a pastor, but just who preached the word of God into your life. I can think of many people in the process of my salvation that God used in my life. Faithful people who preached 
often when I say preach, don't think of pulpit and pastor, just think of somebody who is speaking the word of God, conversational evangelism. The word heard, that means to listen to, to receive, and to believe. We can hear, we can hear just simply by sound waves bouncing off our eardrums. We can hear, and it can go in one ear and out the other, or we can hear to the degree that it changes us, that we hear it and we process it into our lives. And this is what Peter has heard as he heard the voice of the Father from heaven. You have the opportunity to hear the voice of the Father every time that you open up your Bible. A common phrase in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Oh God, give us an ear to hear what you have to say to us even right now. And then thirdly, Peter possesses the word. Now this is important because we weren't on the Mount of Transfiguration, but we do have something that is more valuable than that experience. And it's important to understand this. The word of God is more valuable than any experience that you can have with God. I mean, other than salvation, but it's the word of God that brings that experience. And so every false teacher seems like at least... They've experienced some kind of revelation of God or whatever. Hey, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, then it simply wasn't God. And so in verse 19, so we don't feel left out. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is the effect of the word in Peter's life, an observed word in the lives of others. Now, the translation here, it says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. In my Bible, there's an asterisk, and you can look down at the bottom, but looking at the direct translation of the word of God, that would be better translated, we also have the more sure prophetic word. The more sure prophetic word, more sure than what? More sure than even being on the Mount of Transfiguration. More sure than sitting with Christ those three years. More sure God didn't, doesn't want you to be left out of what the apostles experience. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's impossible to please God without faith. By faith, we're saved. By faith, Grace flowed, and it's by grace in the word of God that, well, it's that which is more sure than seen because the things that Peter experienced, now I know he wasn't up on that mountain, but he was amongst the 12, Judas. Judas observed a lot of what Christ did, and there was never faith that existed there, and he perished because of it. And so this is the surety of the word of God that is solidified in our hearts that gives us an assurance of who God is and all that God has done. Psalm 19, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And then Peter sees the effectiveness of the word, again in verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. He sees how it molds life and he sees that how it's going to continue throughout the, the time of the church age. Verse 20 through 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, the idea is it's not what you think it is, it's what it is. For prophecy never came by the will of man, 
but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit moved Peter to write these things so that we here 2,000 years later would speak of these things, would study these things, that we would embrace these things and we would do these things. But as far as these things and the effectiveness of these things, there has to first be that foundation of faith. And then it's necessary we go to work, not for salvation, but because of salvation and adding to the li- our lives the things that are mentioned in verses 5 through 7. And as we're doing these things and we're obedient to these things, God gives us an assurance, assurance of these things. And as we go through the difficult days, we go through the hard times in our lives, these things are effective to maintaining us and keeping us and even motivating us in this work of ministry. Now, we're going to celebrate the communion meal. And usually when we celebrate the communion meal, we, we do it looking backwards at the, at the cross, which we always should do. In First Peter chapter 1, it says in verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What I want to do here this morning just for the next five minutes is I, I want to I remind you I want to remind you, now again, looking back, we understand the cross and all that was involved in the cross, and I'm not discounting that because without the cross, there's nobody here who is saved. But I want to remind you of your future. I want to remind you of there where you're going to, because again, that's what Peter was pointing to. He was pointing to the people's present, but really what Peter had laid before him and he understood was this glorious future given to him by God. And so in this communion meal here today, that's what I want to make the focus, just the focus of of where it is that we're going. In in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8, the apostle John writes, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle or the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the waters of the waters of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So this is the new kingdom that God has established and is waiting for us. It's one where there's no more death. In 1 Corinthians 15.54 it says, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then she'll be brought to pass the saying, That is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
swallowed up in the victory of Christ. There's going to come that time when death no longer exists. No sorrow or crying, no mourning or crying. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 4. He is despised yet rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Christ has done away with those things. They have impact upon our lives right now, yet we do not mourn as those who have no hope, but there's going to come the time when he completely eradicates them and there will be a time of no more sorrows, no more mourning, no more crying. We're also told that there is going to be no more pain. In Matthew 8:17, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Pain will no longer be part of the equation. The idea is these will just simply not exist in man's life any longer. And then he says, verse 5, And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. The idea here is is that we have God's word as a guarantee. Now, who is not a home to? He thought it important to include that as well. Again, verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. The only way to overcome is in Christ. Verse 8, But the cowardly, the cowardly, those who lack endurance, those who maybe raise a hand, walk down an aisle, but don't really have that saving faith and end up falling away. Unbelieving, well, without belief, you cannot please God. Abominable, those are who are vile, polluted, and caught up in wickedness where sin is a great part of their lives. Murders, that speaks for itself. Sexually immoral, people who instead of are believers, who are Christians, instead they're looked at by that which they practice, in this particular case, sexual immorality. Sorcerers, those who use mind-altering drugs in occult religious practice. Idolaters, those who have other gods than the gods of the Bible. And liars, well again, we are established upon the truths of God. Liars are those who perpetuate any other way to be right with God or to be right with another God. But we see this glorious future that God has. The things that vex men here on earth, we have been set free from those things in Jesus Christ. There's going to come that time. There's going to come that future that we are going to live these things. You're going to be in the presence of God in which there is no light necessary. No sun, no moon, no stars. Why? Because the glory of God is going to illuminate our forever. And so I just want to focus upon that. The worship team can come up. I want to focus upon that as we celebrate communion here this morning. Yes, remember the cross. Remember what God has done for us today. But also, remember the great future that we have in him, that that would be an inspiration to us, just as it was an inspiration to the Apostle Peter. Father, once again, we just thank you that you have given us this time. And I just pray, Father, that we would hold it dear, that we would value it, And I just pray, God, that you would bless us because you have commanded us to celebrate the communion meal. We, in obedience this day, are doing just that. And so, Father, we just thank you and praise you once more. In Jesus' name, amen. As the worship team leads us in song, come up and grab the elements and then take them back to your seat. Hold on to them and we'll partake together. If you're in the overflow, you can come in and grab them for yourself as well.
Let's pray. Father, once again, we hold these elements in our hands. And Father, you have ordained this time because, Lord, we are people who have faith, but our faith is yet to be perfected. And so, Lord, you've given us these physical elements as way of reminder. Reminder, again, of the cross of Christ in which our sins have been done away with, the place where we were washed as white as snow. The trials and tribulations of this day, God, and we're reminded of our failures, but we're also reminded of how that sacrificial death continues to work in our life today. And even as we saw the glorious future that we have. And so, Lord, just this blessed reminder that we have this morning, I pray, Father, that we would embrace it, and I pray that it would for always go before us. Lord, I, I lift up ourselves. The Bible tells us not to partake of this meal in an unworthy manner. And so, Father, we're just going to take a couple of minutes. If there's anybody here that needs to repent of anything, if there's anything that needs to change or being taken care of in your life, we're going to have a few moments of silence and just give these things over to God. And again, if there's anybody here who's yet to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you have that opportunity. Just come before the Lord and ask God to enter into your life and to do that change, to receive his gospel by faith, to repent of your sins, and to move forward, make the decision to move forward in him. Let's just take that time. So once again, God, we're just reminded of your grace, and I just thank you for it, Lord, and just pray, Lord, that we would value it and hold it dear. And so, Lord, we've come into this place, to this congregation as brothers and sisters, adopted into your family because you have chosen us, not because of works of righteousness which we have done, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we've come into this family the same way, we partake of this meal, and it's just symbolic of the body and the blood of our Lord, and as we consume it, the idea is our beliefs have become part of who we are. And as that is the case, we just rejoice also in the goodness of your name. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake. Will you all stand, please? If you're involved in children's ministry or if there's something that you're interested in, we're having a day of teacher training. It's on the 30th here at the church. There's information in the bulletin, but I invite you to partake in that. There's going to be a couple up here for prayer. And then tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to continue on in our studies in Second Chronicles as we're going to be looking at King Amaziah and King Uzziah. Uzziah is the one who, when he passed away, the prophet Isaiah saw God. So I invite you to come and enjoy the word once more tonight. God bless you guys. Have a great week. As we close this service in... This last song uh, may it not just be a last song, but maybe a response to what you 
worship with your God today as it says in this chorus, how great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, all will see. May we make that our prayer today that God will be seen in our lives as we leave this place. There'll be a couple up here for prayer. <laughs> 